We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Doctor Who Series 11, or Series 37, episode The Witchfinders. Doc and the gang arrive in Lancashire, just in time for the dunking of an old woman, an accused witch. And despite the doctor warning her gang not to interfere with history, once again her companion... Oh, wait, this time the doctor interferes, but it's too late. The old woman has drowned. Hashtag sad. But at least she wasn't a witch. At first, the doctor passes herself off as King James's witchfinder general to Becca Savage, the local landlord. But then, in one of those awkward moments, King James turns up, and it appears her cover is blown, but King James accepts the story with one minor correction. Obviously, as a woman, the doctor can only be the witchfinder general's assistant. Graham is taken to be the witchfinder general. Luckily, King James doesn't appear to know the people he is appointed to office. The doctor discovers that Becca has been purging the village of suspected witches for months, and her fervor is unabated. King James is equally as fervent, and they set about to save the entire village's souls, even if it means killing them all. Yaz discovers that the women who have been killed have been resurrected as mud zombies, animated corpses filled with alien mud. As the doctor's investigations bring her increasingly in conflict with Becca, she finds herself accused of witchcraft. Finally, the gang must wield torches and go on a hunt to end the menace that threatens to fill the world with mud. Okay, the Witchfinders. The Witchfinders. Uh, what's your initial thoughts on the Witchfinders? Well, I have to say, I, I'm generally speaking, I'm really quite impressed by the historicals we've had in this season. There's a, Apart from the Alien Menace part? Apart, yes. Well, yes. I was trying to think of a positive way of putting that, which is... All right, if you want a positive on the alien menace in in this particular story, it's not quite as tacked on as in, for example, Demons of the Punjab. It's more integral to the story itself. And so in that sense, it's more forgivable. Okay. And it kind of needs to be there. I mean, you're going to... Well, I'm not sure it does. Okay, no, no, let me me rephrase it. I would have liked a pure historical about... Witch trials. Okay, no, I, I, what I, I guess what I meant was if you were going to have a, if you're going to have the story of mud zombies uh, that, that were being accused of being witches or something of that nature, then perhaps setting it in the maybe 16th, maybe 17th century is is needed, as opposed to setting it on the 23rd stage. You know, putting it on Mars in the water of Mars, you would never take them as witches. So, but yes, they could have had a story about witches that was not that had nothing to do with aliens. I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And I was very disappointed when the tendril popped up out of the ground. Um, ah, darn it. Of course, it's aliens again. So I did wonder if the text that said damn and nothing else to me might be connected with the fact that when I worked it out, arrived at a time that was probably about 15 minutes into the original transition transmission time of Doctor Who. Yes. And, and oddly enough, that was exactly what that meant. It was at exactly the moment the tendrils popped up and it wasn't meant for you. <laughs> Because I figured you probably weren't watching it, Correct. and that it would be a spoiler 
But I was was sending it to somebody else, but I accidentally sent that text to you. But yes, that damn was when the aliens appeared. Because, again, with the trailers that they're doing this year, and with the dearth of information that they're putting out, you could be perfectly believable, believing that... There, this was a straight historical from everything we see. They, they completely avoid showing you anything that looks alien-y in, yeah. in the trailer. So, and in Demons of the Punjab, they did kind of have that whirlwind doctor materialize shot and, and maybe a shot of the thing underground so that you could think, oh, there's something. There is something spacey going on. But, but in this one, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought they were going to have the courage to do it, but apparently not. So Nevertheless, nevertheless, it's... It still got a lot to got a lot to commend it in terms of of being um, both a, a, a kind of not not that I'm an expert, but it, certainly it seemed to me a reasonably accurate account of of witch trials around that period and and an interesting period in fact to to look at. That's what I'm particularly excited about. I think in this in this series is that they've gone for historicals that aren't necessarily the kind of blockbuster box office stories like Dickens or Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Although this they, is contemporaneous, contemporaneous with Shakespeare. Should be. Yes, 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 indeed. It, yes, it would be. Um, but a very, very different kind of story than the Shakespeare code. Oh, yeah. Be it, one with witches again. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know something? The, 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 like the Shakespeare one is very Renfair. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this isn't. This is a little more... I say, say realistic is a hard word to use, but it, it certainly doesn't make it look like a bunch of merry peasants hanging around and shading, shouting, huzzah, and eating turkey legs, um, which is kind of what you get out of the Shakespeare code. It's it's a very theme yeah. park version. This this looks like a very, hey, this looks like a really bad time to be alive. <laughs> I think, yes, I think that's that's the key, the key difference. It, it's actually, I mean, Ryan says he he more or less could have just turned to the camera and said hey kids don't you think this is a bit dark it is it it is pretty dark mm-hmm. you know that's like that dark that ages initial... kind of thing yeah but it it i thought i thought that was i thought that was well handled because we are going into a into a a scenario that was itself a pretty dark period if you're going to go there then you really ought to face up to that and mm. I thought they handled that really well, considering you've got to you've got to get up and move on and have some kind of sci-fi action adventure afterwards. The way in which the Doctor reacted, my my kind of initial response to the Doctor giving the lecture on, oh, you know, you mustn't interfere in history. It's just, oh, we're going there again. But it was there for a purpose. It was setting it was setting the context of showing the Doctor intervening, and that that moment where the the friends the companions fam whatever we call them were looking at her to see how she would react you were you know you didn't know you didn't know Mm -hmm. how she would react um and her choice of reaction i just felt was spot on that's that is what the doctor would do or it's what the doctor we know now would do i mean maybe not the william hartnell who would have brained someone with a rock would have done but certainly the doctor who has become a little more affectionate towards humans well certainly tom baker leela era i think there have been cases where the doctor was definitely do as i say not as i do 
Oh, you know, kind absolutely. of like telling Leela not to do something, and then the Doctor goes off to do it. Um, you know, that's it, been less so this year. It, it has been the Doctor kind of warning off the companions, and the companions trying to really being the ones that are chafing. And, and you know, rightly so. I mean, I can I can completely understand. The the on the other hand, I can also honestly, from a state of cowardice, say you know all those people are standing there and they're not doing anything because they know they could be next. And yeah, that's a sort of informed and intelligent decision, even if it is cowardly. So you know, if the doctor says, "Gosh, Ryan, well, don't yes. go over there. You interfere with history, and they'll kill you," that's a true statement. <laughs> it's like you, you're very likely oh, yeah. to die from that. But um, but I I, I think that I think I'm going to come back to the the bystanders question because I think that's an interesting one. But the the doctor's focus on not interfering seems to be about not messing with the web of time right. rather than the health and safety of her companions although yeah she does clearly have some some regard for that but that's right she's the only doctor that's ever made them basically have consent so that now she's absolved of guilt when they die instead of adric yes <laughs> i did tell him could get blown up on a spaceship while trying to undo some locks i'm just saying all right um yeah well, quite quite right too quite right too i'm I'm very much in favour of that, but um, I, I I also think that you know this this is a doctor where the real genuine sense of jeopardy has been reintroduced in that some of the environments she has taken she's gone into with her companions have felt so places that are hostile or inimical to life in one way or another that it it the odds genuinely seemed stacked against and Which, go ahead. well i was just i was just going to say in in this situation here so it is pre- previous kind of almost omnipotent versions of the doctor would perhaps have found some way of saving that old woman at the beginning well, what i like about how they handled this here was they they wouldn't i don't think they could but they wouldn't let the doctor stand by in order to protect the web of history and let the old woman just die without trying to do something about it but they had her do something about it and yet she was unsuccessful and it it wasn't it wasn't that she didn't make a genuine effort it, it was more that the the situation they found themselves in was a was a, a really perilous one even though you're not talking about uh, so, i mean at that time there's no alien threat or anything there's no threat of universal mm-hmm. destruction or anything like that it's literally just this woman's life is is in mortal danger from from the mob and who could do anything about that with you know with with absolutely no resources and the doctor does her best and you can't fault her for it and she takes a huge risk in doing so but the woman still dies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you say that they've created a genuine sense of threat and i'm trying to think back on the episodes and i i don't know about demons of the punjab but this episode, Rosa, are the two that stand out to me as being a genuine I'd, sense of threat. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, go, Ghost Monument felt pretty dangerous to me. Did it? Because I, I think my complaint about oh, yeah. the Ghost Monument is they kept talking about how deadly the planet was and not, oh, the atmosphere is poisonous, yet we're breathing it. Oh, we're going to... The water's I, poisonous. The water's poisonous, what you, but... What you, what you see in it, uh, and what I think is so effective, is you see, you see it in people's reactions. So it, it, it's not that they're just telling you it's that they're that it's not like you have you have to see someone fall in the water and 
have the flesh eaten off their bones or whatever in order no, but to understand even if it that were, it's dangerous. Even if it were, I don't feel like... All right, here's my, here's my thesis then. The episodes in the past, the threat feels more real because it's not made up. Right, the planet I, with the I, atmosphere is, is a made-up thing. The the flesh-eating bacteria in the water is a made-up thing. The doctor can pull out the sonic screwdriver and go, "Oh, I've just attenuated the uh, bacteria in this water, and it's fine. That's why you didn't die when you fell in." It's it's a made-up non-threat, but witch trials are real. Nasty people with torches and pitchforks and religious fervor are real. Those are well, I those think are I, real yes, threats think, you can I, get away. I I I, I I'm going to partially agree with you. I mean, I. I don't think it is just the ones in the past, but I think it is about basing the threat on something real. The vacuum of space is real, so it's not as if you couldn't have something that was extraterrestrial or set in the future and had a real threat in it. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's the expectation of... Maybe it is years of the writers cheating, starting with Russell T. Davies worse than any of them, you know, put us all up in danger, and then at the last minute, Sonic Screwdriver comes out, grab a pail of glop, slide down I the elevator don't shaft. Think that's Ta-da, done. With Russell T. Davies. Yeah, but he really shorthanded it into the miracle at the end of the episode. And so well, that's part again, of the format thing. Yeah, it's a forty-five okay, minutes. He, he chose the format, so I assume oh, yeah. that he is yeah. integrally part of it. I'm not, I'm not trying to trying to bash on Russell T. Davies, but at the same time, I feel like that has accelerated rapidly at that point, and. And so, yeah, no, even if you dump them in space, I kind of feel like the doctor could go, well, the sonic screwdriver happens to have a force field that generates an atmosphere thing. But you can't undo racism. You can't go to Atlanta with a sonic screwdriver and solve racism. Can't do it. Threats, 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 threats real because it's a real threat. It's a real problem in my mind as opposed to one that was made up by the writer. And I oh, guess I'm that's still, what I'm, I'm... I'm still basically in agreement with it, but I, 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 think, it, I think it goes beyond... It goes beyond what you choose there because you can you can have a situation like this and you can treat it in a way that doesn't make the threat real. So, for example, if you'd had a doctor who was a, a, a version of the doctor who was more powerful than the, the current version played by Jodie Whittaker and he had actually been successful in rescuing the old lady, it creates a sense that actually, yes, the Doctor can undo a lot of these things. It is it, by by whatever action she takes, because she's because she's smarter, because she's faster, she's cleverer, she can actually protect herself from some of the consequences of these places. And so I guess what I'm saying about that scene is it was important that we did see the consequences and the, the, the kind of horror of... Mm. What, what people's religious beliefs led them to do was actually shown on screen before you kind of go off into the extraterrestrial story, which, you know, in its way was actually solved with a bit of magic wand waving. And that, oh, that in that. itself didn't feel so real, but this part of the episode did. Did you just inadvertently, and I, I suspect it's convention and, and history, but... I thought it was interesting that your your gender pronouns switched when you were talking about a more powerful version of the doctor. You you said he only then... because only because the previous versions of the doctor have all been men, and I'm talking about a previous version of the doctor. I was I was I was I was searching in my head for the whether that was the right pronoun, but at the time it would have been he, and now it's she. 
So I don't know. It's, it's So the she doctor is a lesser, less powerful version of the doctor. I no, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say that the Peter Davison version is a less powerful version of the Doctor than the Tom Baker version, for example. And the Jodie Whittaker version is a less powerful version than well, certainly than David Tennant, who strikes me as the that that version of the Doctor was someone who really did attain almost literally in some of the episodes godlike powers. Mm-hmm. And I, I I don't like that. <laughs> I don't know. No, like I prefer, I, I, I truly prefer, prefer the era. And even when you have a doctor who was enormously powerful, like Pertwee, I feel like when they get dumped on a planet like Colony in Space or uh, the Mutants, uh, that, that they're in, you know, th- he's not omnipotent. He's not much stronger than the rest of us when it comes to bullets and, and death by choking and, and whatnot. That there is, there is a, Potentially, of course, I didn't think the writers are going to just cheat him out of it too um, with the Sonic in those in that era. And and I I do really appreciate the fact that when they set the Doctor down here, I I feel like there is a you know she doesn't just have to stand up on a rock and tell everyone that she's the Doctor and they all go running. Yes, <clears throat> yes, so, exactly. Um, I'm, while while you're while you're picking up on the gender pronouns, there's somewhere else I want to go with this episode, which I appreciated mm-hmm. and you might not expect it because certainly okay. when we were looking forward to well I was looking forward to um, the new doctor taking over the role I was keen that they didn't make a big deal out of the gender change because mm-hmm. obviously there's the potential for a, a lot of mileage in jokes and throwaway comments can I can um, I just before you carry that thought I just want to say mm-hmm. that, that my reservation on that was that if you're I agree that they shouldn't make an issue out of it. My concern is that if they did make the Doctor a woman, they would make an issue out of it, and that they would fundamentally have to alter the storytelling so that they could do that, so that they would have, so that they could present those issues that were a problem. And and I've got a section here that I suspect is tailing right to where you're going. It could, it but, could well be where I'm going with it. But the opposite end of that is that if they completely ignore it, why did they do it? Other than just to appease, you know, it's not an artistic decision. It's a well. I well, say, let's why? Do that why? That, why have they, why? Why have they cast men for so long? Other than to appease the radical male lobby. I don't so think it I'm, was ever done to appease the radical, radical male lobby until the last well, couple of years. I think it was that, done because to... the doctor is a man. It was and done because of the, the patriarchy. The... <laughs> I really don't believe that. I really believe it was done because the doctor was a man. And yeah, we have to hire a new actor. It just, it wouldn't occur to anybody. And, and I guess you could that, say, well, that's Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I, no to I don't. That I don't is my think, point. No, I think that you would not. You wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't. You, you just wouldn't. Exactly. Like, no, you wouldn't think of changing it. It's like, it's a guy, it's a guy. Exactly. It's a guy. He's the next guy. He's going to keep his little willy when he goes from one generation to the next. It might change shape and color and hair color and whatnot, but it's a guy becoming a guy. You would not think of it. That is that is the agenda mode as opposed to, okay, well, we had to hire a new actor. And, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the aggressive male patriarchy trying to keep the women down. I think it's just, I don't want to say common sense, but I mean, it's just the default 
behavior. It is. It is just. It is. This guy is this guy is. is this guy. You just never go. Well, this guy's this guy. This guy. This guy. This woman. What? No, you wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Anyway, it, it's, um, it's it's certainly the ingrained assumption. The the default the ingrained sort of biological assumption. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, derailed. I just wanted to say those were my misgivings before we go into this conversation. So go. Well, sure. We've. I'm sure we've been there. My 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 hope was that they would just. The doctor would regenerate, and then we could just get on with it. And pretty much that has been what's happened, and mm-hmm. that's great. What I appreciated in this episode was that, I mean, obviously, we're, when we're talking about witch trials, although obviously religion is a big aspect of it, you can't ignore the misogyny inherent in it. And you throw the doctor into that. are women. The Pendle witch trials, not all of them are women. I look. I th- I, I, I think it's one of those things where you have to go below the kind of surface level sexism and say, actually, who does this affect? It's kind of like laws laws that only affect part-time workers. And you say, oh, well, you know, there's nothing sexist about it, except that the majority of part-time workers are women and so it disproportionately affects them. Okay. So I, I, I think it's pretty hard to, to separate this out from the misogyny that I don't think we are going to have a problem with agreeing that was around in the 16th century. Absolutely. And so that there, the, the doctor makes references to this. I can't remember the exact line, but, but about not, not having any difficulty being listened to when she was a bloke. Mm-hmm. And it's like having regenerated as a man an unfeasibly large number of times in a row. She's not had to, the, that, the, the, the kind of, privilege that she has enjoyed in patriarchal societies and let's face it she spent a lot of time on earth and a lot of time on parts of earth in times in history that have been very male oriented Mm -hmm. and so that that kind of privilege has been almost invisible and now and now she's here as a woman and so suddenly that disadvantage she's experiencing becomes very much more obvious and i i I just liked the way that was brought out and handled without too too much being made of it okay i'll i'll agree um i I won't completely agree that that's just i mean in this particular case it's absolutely it's a misogyny thing so i don't get it that way but i'm face it let's peter davison had exactly the same problem he went from a very commanding powerful doctor that could to command a room to someone who could talk till he was blue in the face and they couldn't convince people to listen to him in many instances. So that sort of regenerative change from, gosh, I can get people to listen to me to, gosh, I can't get people to listen to me has happened to the doctor in the past, just not necessarily for these these reasons. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so I found the line. I, honestly, if I was still a bloke, I could get on with the job and not have to waste time defending myself, which... You know, I think it's a fair comment. I think I do think it's a fair comment. I think certainly, absolutely, uh, in that in that context, it is. I, but you know, she 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 has had to deal with this sort of thing in the past. So um, my my question, uh, you know, it's all about this scene, kind of. Is so <clears throat> first off, and and recognizing that we don't go into a whole heck of a lot about British history in at this level of detail. Would a landowner, would a landlord, really have passed to a widow and continued to be the landlord in that period of time, and and, and it's Say a sort again. of okay. So Becca Zivalsh, uh she is the landlord, and 
the doctor makes mention of it being unusual for a woman. And she's like, my husband died hmm. and left it to me. And I'm guessing she has no sons. And so I'm just curious as to how English law dealt with that because women were second-class citizens. And it feels odd. I mean, there may have been no one else, but it kind of feels odd that the village accepted her. Well, I think, well, I th I think without being an expert on 16th century legal history, it's probably similar to rules of succession and like it you just have no choice women, if the women, is, the women are second is. class but well yeah because you might be the eldest child but if you happen to be of the female type of child it doesn't matter that you're the eldest child it's the eldest son who's going to inherit okay the only way you're going to inherit is if there are no sons and you know that that that's how it works for royal succession and that would is it, that is accepted i mean would in, in, in as much brother? as it is accepted i think that would be a that would be a valid question but it's it's possible that he was a an only child or that his brothers died you know we've got an era when people didn't necessarily all live to a ripe old age if okay. if he's if he's died he might have outlived his brother anyway but my, um, i guess my point is is that this feels a little weird that, that this is not the normal circumstance, okay? Now, that leads to my question. The doctor pulls out her sonic screw, uh, sonic paper, psychic paper, sonic psychic paper screwdriver, and <laughs> flashes it to Becca, the woman who is the landlord, which is an odd situation. And she sees it, that the doctor is the witchfinder general. And the doctor shows the same psychic paper to King James. He sees it as the witchfinder general's assistant. Now... Two questions. One, King James's expectation is different from Becca's, and I'm not sure I believe that, because surely Becca knows that women would not be Witchfinder General either, in that, I mean, she can't be ignorant of the world that she lives in. So it's very odd to me, unless she has I, th I think I think different the difference ideas. there might be, well, the, di the diff I don't know if it's different ideas or different experience in the sense that she knows that she is quite capable of being the landlady whereas the king might not have any experience of a woman being in a position of seniority like that okay and then following that up how come they both saw them as witch finders well i witch don't actually general. know how i don't actually know how the psychic paper works but isn't part of it what the doctor wants them i to don't think? know I, I honestly, this is part of the question. Uh, did, did she go, I'm thinking Witchfinder General, and then shows it to them and they go, oh, it says Witchfinder General. Because in Kerblam, she just throws him, here's our credentials. And it kind of felt like the woman who was looking at it just made it up whole, oh, uh, family of the First Lady, which is a really bizarre thing to pull out of, out of nowhere. And in the past, I've always kind of thought that the doctor primed them with what he said before showing them, you know, oh, I'm the yeah. I'm the doctor and she's my plus one and shows the psychic paper that, and they go. Is that is that is that how it's introduced in the end of the world? Yes. And she's my I'd, plus yes, one. Yes, I'd forgot I'd forgotten him priming priming yeah. So it's And it's so a lot of times it's more than he's just expecting to see an invitation. And and a lot something. of times when they show it, the doctor does prime and I can't say in every situation, but he'll say, These are my credentials. And I feel like he's showing them that's going, they'll look at that and they'll know what credentials they expect to see. And sometimes they'll look at it and they'll say something totally off the wall and the doctor will flip it around and go, oh, is that what it says? Like they didn't expect, they expected it to be like, I'm from the government, but instead it's like, I'm from the sanitation bureau or yeah. whatever weird thing that the person is bringing to it. And in this case, 
I don't remember what the doctor says, but in, but I, it doesn't prime it with anything like, you know, we're witch finders and then showing them the thing and then going, oh, you're the witch finder general. <clears throat> Could just be a writer dis- discrepancy. But, but I did think it was interesting that they were both witch finders, but King James altered it or Becca altered it. To, well, to their expectations are different, and I just didn't wouldn't think Becca's expectations would be would be different that that she would expect a woman in this position either. I, despite I, the well, fact I, that I, I I think that I think unless that is it's because she's contaminated with the Morax and she's the queen. I, I I I just I just think it's because she has she she knows what what a woman is capable of, even if she realizes what obstacles there are in the way. Whereas King. James possibly doesn't even think that women are capable of, you know, a, a woman would not be capable of being the witch finder general. Um, that 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 would be my guess on that. But he is primed on what to expect on the paper. But I take your point about her. I'm not sure that she is. And I unfortunately have only had a chance to watch this one once, so I, I didn't um, I didn't go back and look at that. I just it, it kind of nagged me at the time, and then you know, so I have a I have a question about the timing of this um again king james is not one of the big ones that that we get any info on despite the colon or the colonization of the americas started under his uh watch Uh um but if i had been reading king james's history from wikipedia which i may have done before this podcast i would have bet dollars to donuts this occurred in 1599 um and the reason is so a lot of a lot of what we saw on camera seemed to be fairly accurate. I don't know that he was quite so camp, but but certainly um, people of the time used some phrases like "after the reign of King Elizabeth, we have Queen James." <clears throat> um, I, I attributed to Raleigh, Sir Walter, Sir Walter Raleigh. Um, <clears throat> there, there's definitely some um, there's definitely some historical evidence that he may have. I don't know that he was quite as carry on witch hunts as he was in this one but um uh you know I, it wasn't it weren't shying away from but but in 1599 so in 1597 king james wrote a book called demonology um he was he was a bit of a scholar when he had gotten married and he did get married and he had a ton of kids even a bunch that survived um he had to go to europe to pick up his bride because storms and 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 this is prior to 1597. And it was believed that the storms were caused by witches and there were witch trials. And this is kind of apparently where he got into this thing because he was convinced for years that Scottish witches were trying to send storms to kill him. Um, he was educated. He was a scholar. He wrote this book on demonology about, about witchcraft and things to look and, and whatnot. But, but accounts put him in, at 1599, he became a lot more skeptical than he had previously been and started demanding less contrived proof of witches. And huh. that would fit that would really nice. well with this date. I love that. That's a, that's a lovely little piece of the jigsaw. If only he'd been king of England in 1599. <clears throat> he was king oh. of Scotland. And so James the, 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 the pendle, yeah, it's James VI, I think. And then James the, the pendle... James of Scotland, James I of England. Yeah, he, was, he would have been James VI at the time. And the Pendle witches didn't occur till 1612, which they seem to make reference to as being... And, and Wikipedia for this episode puts this as 1612, but nobody mentioned that date. So I have no idea, but obviously he was king of England because they, they call him that. And he's going back to London and all. So yeah, uh, about that. 
but darn, that, that just, I read that and I'm like, wow, this writer really was, oh, they goofed. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn it, they goofed. Um, but, uh, but, it, but it's an interesting, because he, he, he genuinely, he himself personally helped torture and oversaw the death of, of people who were accused of witches. He, he genuinely um, had that fervor at some point in his life. Um, he, he definitely was everything we saw here, at least at some point along the way, is completely believable with King James. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of suitably impressed, even if they only got their history from Wikipedia, <laughs> except they didn't look at the dates very closely. But I mean, it it, it was. Um, uh, so in fact, if you some... want, if you check Joy Wilkinson's Twitter, you'll you'll see there's uh, the four or five books on the witch trials that she read. Mm-hmm. In order to research this, oh, th- there was something in one of the there was something in one of the articles on Pendle about King James wanted results, and the people who were overseeing the trial weren't quite sure how to curry favor with him, whether they wanted him to torture them for confessions or whether he wanted more accurate evidence. Or they didn't know, but that their whole point is they wanted to curry favor rather mm-hmm. than they weren't so much concerned about, you know, obviously it's a foregone conclusion, they're witches, but how to go about it to, to please the king. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, the whole, the whole concept is fascinating from a grim and morbid mm-hmm. uh, point of view. But, uh, and, and so, again, kind of cool to go, go look at this period of time and, and, and talk about it. But, it. but it's also interesting to then do a little, even just a little digging and you start going, well, dog, doggone. Um, <clears throat> uh, that, that bit about the switch to some more skeptical, though, really, I, I, should, I should have looked to see if somebody changed Wikipedia recently, <laughs> like after this episode. It's like, <laughs> why did you pick 1599? But, a, but they have some documentation of something after that where he wrote to someone and basically was saying something to the effect of, uh, I've found that most of this stuff is, is not true, basically. So... Uh, as opposed to, to you know, like witches, let's go. There was, there was a sort of bit of drawback that was a little more, a little more nuanced than than what we saw here in in that respect. So, yeah. although um, I mean, I I thought Alan Cummings' performance as James was absolutely terrific. It is a bit Carry On film, though. I don't think so. You I thought see it, that? I thought it was very very nicely nicely judged. I mean, we didn't get nicely an ooh er or anything, but. When he saw Ryan, but uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought I, I, I just thought I thought that was I thought that was rather well done. I, I don't. I, I genuinely don't know. I the scene when he is sitting there talking with the doctor and the doctor is chained up mm-hmm. was a great scene. Yeah, that was a great scene, and he seemed like a he seemed like uh, he seemed like a person, not a caricature at that point. Prior yes. to that, he yes. seemed like a caricature. Right, and you may all bit. object yourself to myself, and and you know, running around the forest in a mask and all that stuff. It's like this is a cartoon King James, and I know everyone seems to love Alan Cummings' performance on it, and I'm he, I'm sure he gave exactly the performance that they wanted, but it's a little bit of a caricature in that in that one moment. You, you you're looking at it and you're saying, you know, he's been challenged and he can he can change. Of course, he he doesn't in a way, but at least not then. <clears throat> Or even at the end, because no, well, he kills the well, villain. But I don't know. I mean, that that's one of the things that I thought was slightly a missed opportunity in this. I mean, I I I think I think Cummings' performance was not what I expected. I thought he was going to 
give much more of a cartoonish performance, a real sort of, I am invincible kind of version of um, King James who had no depth, who had no seriousness. And if he was, if, if there was an act being put on here, it felt like it was the character's performance, as in what is expected of him as a king. And that in that scene where you have that exchange between him and the doctor, there is, as you say, there's a, there is a person there. And what we actually get is there's an inquiring mind, an appetite to discover some sort of truth behind the, yeah, okay, so there's an, there is an actual mask. It may be laying it on a bit thick, but that's the sense you get about how, how he behaves as a king. And I loved that. I, I thought that was really, really interesting and effective. What I wasn't sure about, although actually now I'm not sure it was so much of a missed opportunity because the more I think about it, the more I think it was there. But I guess I'm thinking about current parallels in terms of how you deal with someone who is essentially a despot and who has some pretty strange ideas and whose appetites, you know, all the stuff about body parts and all that kind of thing. This is not a good man. Whatever whatever you find in that scene where he actually, where the doctor almost seems to be getting through to him, she's getting through to someone who who may be curious, who may be, um, who, who may have a an interest in the world around him, but it's not it's not in any sense a kind of benevolent interest. He's not he's not looking to be a philanthropic king of any sort. And and there I is this there is this, fairly. I mean, Guy Fawkes thing aside, I understand he was reasonably okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not saying he was a bad king. All right, it it's it's more like why was he a good person? Was mm-hmm. he a good person? And the sense you get in this. And I, I, I don't think it's necessarily historically inaccurate. The sense you get in this is that he's probably not a very nice person, and he doesn't have a he doesn't have a kind of moral guide to what are good acts of government, as opposed to just keeping the peace, doing th- being in other words, being incredibly, incredibly pragmatic. But obviously, watching this in two thousand and eighteen, the idea of of having someone who is a bit a bit weird in the head, okay, let's not beat about the bush, who has a very, very much greater sense of their own performance than they do of any kind of moral core in terms of how they should use the power that they have somehow acquired. Um, it, it all seems terribly relevant. And, and <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah, and, and I mean, knows. yeah, it is relevant. And, and again, does it fit here with King James because historically King James... Even though his regents and tutors had tried to inform him of the ways of um, the, the the balance between, say, Parliament and 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 a king being a little more towards Parliament, he he later, as he got into his religious fervor, um, he became a very strong advocate of the king is God's chosen. I do what I want, yeah. and if it's if it's wrong, God will sort me out, but no one else will. Also, also it. seems quite relevant. And the the interesting thing about it, the thing that felt to me like maybe it was a slightly missed opportunity, is how do you deal with someone like that? Because obviously there are the options of either, on the one hand, having nothing to do with them, denouncing everything they say and do when they say and do terrible things. And the, the other way, not looking at any Republicans, but the other way is to kind of say, well... This is this is a 
pretty bad person who's saying and doing some pretty bad things but if i can if i can keep them on side if i can have a word in their ear and make them a little bit less bad however little that is then at least you know that that's something and that seems to me that the kind of approach that was going on here that the the doctor was willing to deal with king james because i guess because he's the man on the spot or because web of time or however you want to look at it and so she is dead set on convincing him and then ultimately when they're facing a common foe she is using the fact that they have a common foe to say you know come on let's let's defeat them and at the end of it even though they're obviously not bosom pals and the doctor's not saying hey jamie come along for a ride in the tardis there's a sense of almost affection a bit of camaraderie between them as they as they walk through the woods to the tardis and i didn't know if that was i didn't know if that was right or not because he's at the end of it all he's obviously still not a good guy yeah yeah i i can see that i can see that um it is a it's having a, having having said that having having thought having re it did feel I, I will say this it did feel like that when they're walking through the thing all pally at the end i did but well, that seems remarkably wow we've gone past a we've gone past a point here and now we're buds it, it did seem yes. a little bit much yeah yeah and and that and that i think is the danger of having a slightly cartoonish king james is that you don't get the you you see the dark side and then you forget about it and you and you mustn't forget about it and you can't normalize these things mm-hmm. but i'm not i'm not sure that i'm not sure that it is a huge missed opportunity because having talked it all through i kind of think a lot of it is there in the episode it it, it may not have been spelled out but it may not have needed to be hmm. it, it it kind of raised the questions it it did i mean i mentioned them because it raised the questions in my head and maybe that's all it needed to do without getting in the way of the story Okay, well, let's talk about the least interesting part about the story: the uh, the aliens, um, the mud people, <clears throat> the mud people. I- I'm just going to throw I'm going to throw out my questions here all at once because they don't they don't deserve a point by point attack. It's unclear to me why the mud didn't overtake Becca immediately instead of waiting months of a growing, creeping infection. One, why did she have the axe by her bed? Was it because she was afraid that mud people were going to come for her? Was it because she was going to go chop down the rest of the tree? Because <laughs> she's under the control of the mud people. Did she kill the women in the village so that they would get buried? So that they would be available to become the mud zombies? Was the whole thing... Don't forget that <clears throat> she thought that they were Satan all along. Co- correct. So I'm unclear because what she did seems to be exactly what she needed to do to free the aliens, as if the aliens were guiding her actions. But her words were... But she she wasn't doing it intentionally in the sense that if she thought they were Satan, which I think she did, what she was trying to do was double down on what she believed the good and righteous thing to do, which was to drive out Satan wherever he appears so if there are witches in the village then she needs to god again but why? To sa- yeah. save save their souls what's the axe for i mean an axe is I for don't, a tree. i don't i don't i don't know i mean it, it question could be it could be the mud people at that point it could be because by the time the doctor and her companions arrive on the scene she's gone beyond what i'm describing so trying to do 
God's work in an effort to overcome Satan. And she's she's actually in the process of committing a murder in order to cover up something she doesn't want to know. And that's, from her point of view, that's fundamentally different because she knows that's wrong, whereas previously she thought what she was doing was right. Well, okay, so, so but can you... Could we make an argument that that says you're doing what you think is right, but you also have an alien intelligence inside your body? Could it be convincing her that there? In other words, could could it be putting the thoughts in her head that Satan is in the village that she needs to go out and do these things? And and I I just couldn't tell whether or not we were dealing with a true nut up until the point when. Um, basically it, it started creeping out of her eyes, or whether we had been dealing with an alien agent, witting or unwitting, that was actually doing the doing work on specifically to the alien's advantage the whole time. And it's also unclear that anyone knew anything about the mud zombies until the whole army rose up towards... No, it's also clear Becca knows more than she's letting on. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I feel it was kind of... You know, it's it's a little bit glossed over. I mean, um, I don't care very much because I didn't like that. As- I wasn't interested in that aspect of the episode at all. The only, the only thing that bothers me slightly is the idea that if it was the mud creature in Becca that was driving her to suspect Satan in all of these places, well, that seems... It doesn't, it doesn't, quite, it doesn't quite diminish what historically went on because obviously there were, we know there were other witch trials in other places that were equally awful and pre- presumably not alien driven but on the other hand shouldn't shouldn't we face up to the to the fact that this this thing that is being portrayed on screen when it happened it happened not because of some alien mumbo jumbo it happened because humans did it <clears throat> obviously but we're definitely we're definitely human driven um but i, I just I don't know. It, it did leave me with questions, but I think it was because it wasn't really very well thought out. I don't think that's what the story was about. It was it was another yeah. opportunity to get us into the historical context. And and so, yes, this was more integral to the plot, but at the same time, it felt about as tacked on as, as Space Nazi did in Rosa. Not as bad as Demons of the Punjab, but but about about at the same level uh, as, as Rosa. Yeah, perhaps. Um, Space Nazi was a a necessary part of the plot of Rosa, so served a a more a more indispensable function. Whereas I still think I still think you could have had a although although this was definitely part of the story they told, they could have had an, a a not very different story about witch trials mm. that didn't involve any alien element. And I I think I would have probably enjoyed it more. And I think, but I, I gonna, enjoyed this. I'm just going to put this out there: aliens. If you're gonna set up a prison, don't disguise it as a tree. <laughs> that that's the most nonsensical part of this entire <laughs> thing. <laughs> you know? uh, just just make it a big block and bury it so no one sees it. I mean, you got the technology to do it. Don't make it a tree. Someone's gonna chop that down eventually. Well, well, maybe lots of trees don't get chopped down. But yes, eventually, I suppose. It's lots, <laughs> of tree, lots of trees do get. I've chopped been down. to England. If you, go, if you well, yes, if you go. If you go far enough into the Industrial Revolution, yes, a lot of trees get chopped down. Um, yeah. Anyhow, I don't know that I have anything else on this episode. 
I want to I want to pick up on one other thing that I think I, I, I felt was insufficiently explored in, in this one, um, which really follows on from what I was just saying about making the point that humans did this. And it's to come back to this idea of, of the role of the bystanders, who, as you say, have a perfectly logical position in the sense of if they if they were to stick their neck out or put their head above the parapet, however you want to, to put it, then they could they make targets of themselves. They could be next in line to be accused of being a witch, which is one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that as a group, they could take collective action that would put a stop to it. And Evolution. in particular, the kind of the the deciding piece of evidence I'm going to point to in terms of what actually are these bystanders really what are their true motivations here? What are what genuinely are their fears and desires? Are the fact that they are having a weekly party with apple bobbing every time there is a witch dunking. I don't think they want to stop it. I think they are part of a a spectacle. They don't want it's true, absolutely true. They don't want to be the one getting dunked, but it's a nat- it's also a natural part of the human condition that you don't think it's ever going to be you. And so you 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 go along for the spectacle and you go along for the party and the apple bobbing and the rest of it. And I felt maybe the missed opportunity was the their culpability wasn't explored. Again, it comes back to the relevance of of this thing, of the fact that a a a, a bad bad governor, a bad squire, or what, whatever the female equivalent of a squire is. Um, just as uh, just as with a bad king or any other bad kind of head of state you might possibly think of who is in some way providing entertainment again if you can think of any parallels then we kind of all become complicit in becoming just spectators of that entertainment rather than thinking about whether this is something that we should be complicit in that we should be allowing to happen and i kind of thought the the whole of the village would basically given a pass by the doctor and her companions when i'm not sure they deserved it mm. so mm, you know, the term bread and circuses came to mind absolutely um, but um so that's a that's interesting because it does come so close at the beginning of the episode it's easy to forget that mm. yes they seem to be having a little bit of a, a, a weekly fair and i was like oh this is this is fun actually village life is like a ren fair and um <laughs> and then they ring the bell, the gong, the gong, or whatever it was, and everyone's mood changes, right? Suddenly it became somber, and it's like, oh, well, when she calls, we have to go. <clears throat> and I didn't know what to make of that, honestly. Um, did, did the landlord command that you have um, a party all day before the witch dunking? I, 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 didn't, know what to, I didn't know what to take of it. <laughs> just a the sense i got was it was that it was like you there's a requirement to to take this seriously as in it's a it's a religious ritual so you don't want to be caught laughing at the devil that kind of thing could be could be um and you're right they could have they could have rose up and that did cross my mind Uh, again not understanding the mindset of 16th and or 17th century all right hold up jacobian um era uh peasants would they consider rising up against the landlord and slitting her throat in the night it didn't look like it would be much of a problem well i i mean in the grand scheme of things well if you consider any any one particular individual 
as as you were saying, the motivation is very strongly towards saying, I don't I don't want to stick my neck out. And if you were to try and act collectively, how would you know who to trust? So, you know, think of life behind the Iron Curtain, think of the Stasi and your neighbours informing on you and so on and so forth. So there's a whole lot of game theory at play there that makes me feel that it's not it's not obvious that any of us in that situation would be brave enough to do the right thing. But I no, guess my question is, is anyone there actually interested in doing the right thing? And that wasn't explored. Not at all. In fact, most of the rest of the village after that scene, well, they, they really weren't in it anyway. But, you know, it's it's down to the granddaughter yeah. as, as the stand-in. And, and she can't stand in as the village because she's lost somebody close to her absolutely and sh- and therefore she's she's at risk and she's she's an outsider already yeah i don't know i have an answer for that i don't think the writer had an answer for it I, well I, it just struck me as being a missed opportunity i would have liked to have gone a little bit more into the culpability of the of the mob the mob mentality in those scenes but it, it just wasn't explored yeah all right well uh in that case i don't know if you don't have anything else uh no i don't believe i do I believe the next episode is something like "They Take You Away." And I don't know. I haven't. I haven't been following the. the I'm being delighted. Name by doesn't being surprised each week. It doesn't tell you much. I have to say, unless you know. Well, nor does the it's trailer. The, they there, take you. They take you away. Of the Daleks might be a tip off, but uh, but it's not <laughs> called that. <laughs> so um, anyway, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always, listeners. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. <laughs>